Welcome back to Don't Call It A Book Club. My name is Luke. My name is Dan. Back after a two-week hiatus. That was tough. I there was a long time without speaking to you, Dan. Yeah, I know, Luke. I missed uh, I missed catching up on this book with you. <laughs> so we're we're back to Malazan Book of the Summer, starting Dead House Gates, and we're up to chapter nine. That's right. That's right, Luke. Before we get into the book, though. We need to get warmed up. It's been a little while. We got to get the podcasting Mm -hmm. juices flowing. Get us into it, Luke. Okay. For my warm-up, I want to talk about, over the last few days, few well, week or so, been watching the the soccer tournament. Ooh, the Euro. Euro Euro 2020. Uh Uh-huh. If you're you're listening to this non-contemporaneously, it's actually taking place in 2021. But anyway... I really enjoy watching soccer, okay? Love soccer. I think it's one of, if not the most, like, pretty sports to watch. However, Mm. this is coming from... I recognize that this is probably going to be coming from a very U.S.-centric viewpoint. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If there was ever a sport that could benefit from some minor rule changes, soccer would be one of them. Because it's an awesome sport... It has a lot of advantages that like the the more popular US sports don't have, mm-hmm. like less commercials being the main thing. <laughs> However, it's just a little it's a little too low scoring. Mm-hmm. And I think it's wild that we haven't made efforts to make it more high scoring. Especially because like you could do little tiny tweaks that don't really affect the game in a huge way that I feel like would be very beneficial. Okay. So Luke, first of all, I'll say this. I've heard this as a critique of soccer before. So yes, we be- not a, we like... need to be bringing something spicy to this right now. <laughs> if we okay. want to if we want to get through the fog, if we want to make our way, if we want to find some new ground here, we're going to need to come up with some spicy rule changes. We're not we can't make little rule. We can't say like, "Oh, just uh have like an extra three players on the field or uh something like that i don't know that that's not gonna get us to where we need to go okay i don't know if mine are super spicy all right give me your give me your basic rule changes and then we'll spice them up okay number one the fact that we don't have infinite subs is absurd (laughs) you should be able to you should be like you should be able to go back in do you know what i mean Uh uh-huh we have uh-huh. like maybe they upped them recently. I don't know if they're still three a game, but that's ridiculous. What are you doing? Okay, so actually, I don't want like okay. My if my best if like the best player, the one that everyone wants to see, is on there and getting like exhausted by the end of the game and has to come out. That's a flaw in your game. Like <laughs> he should be able to take a break in the middle of the game and come back super hyped up in the last like 20 minutes right so you get the last 20 minutes being this like incredible close match where you right. have the I two best the players that come back minutes. in yeah i don't want the last 20 minutes being everyone exhausted it's so, ridiculous luke you said this is like a basic rule change i think this is a spicy rule change we are talking about because infinite subs dramatically changes the game right this is the same like i think basketball has the same issue right 
basketball you can you have infinite subs in basketball oh really okay well in basketball the last like little bit of the game usually i find very boring because it's a bunch of fouling that's that's a hot take i hate it okay regardless infinite (laughs) subs imagine having multiple teams i am a soccer coach i'm gonna throw in my beefy team when the other team has their little skinny guys running around to counter their skinny guys. As soon as the other coach sees me swapping on all my big beefy boys, he's like, oh shit, I got to get my beefy boys out on the field. (laughs) So you have just players constantly running on and off the field in order to counter the players that the other coach is putting on the field. I love this. There's like hot swapping happening. (laughs) Yeah, there there would have to be some, some tweaks... As to like how you sub to make it more fluid but still reasonable. But my next rule change will kind of go against what you're saying. And now that I think about it, it's probably kind of spicy. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Okay, yeah. I think we need many more foul calls. Oh. <laughs> Is this a hot? This feels like a hot take. This might However, be a hot take. I feel like a lot of people hate all the foul calls in soccer. The critique of soccer is that there's not enough scoring, right? Mm -hmm. You need to make defending more difficult. The easiest way to do that, call fouls more. Because like when I watch soccer, it's like, you know, you normally think like it's not that much of a contact sport. But then when you watch professionals, they're like grabbing each other all the time. And then if I like if somebody dribbles past somebody, the other person just like grabs them and doesn't let them. No, we're cutting that out. It's very difficult to play defense now when there's foul calls all the time. Now we're scoring a lot. I actually love this. It also makes it to where the incredible like jukes that an offensive player will do, like a like when a forward just completely destroys a fullback and gets past them, and you're just like going nuts because they're like wide open to the goal, and then the fullback turns around and just like shoves them off the ball. You're like, I mean, come on, let him let him play, ref. <laughs> Let him play. Right. I I will say the let him play is more of a, well, okay. But no, yes, but I, I think am... the long-term consequences of what you're saying will let him play. And, and I think the fouls too need to be like, they get a free kick. I think, or like a penalty. I think it's like, they get to they get take a shot. I think we need I to expand that... the range that they get to take a shot if you foul. Yeah, no more walls also. No more walls <laughs> and free kicks. Um, but because like overtime, like you're saying, if we're calling more fouls, defense is a little bit less pushy. We're getting more juke moves mm-hmm. and goals. That's what I want. Um, the other thing that I want to say, this is going to be a, well, okay. You know how there's this big critique of like soccer players acting like they got yeah. hurt a lot? Yeah, yeah like flopping. Which yeah, is yeah. a fair critique. Mm-hmm. One thing that I always see is Americans being like, see, this is why... It's not popular in the U.S. because, like, they're always, like, crying and stuff. (laughs) It's the most ridiculous form of American exceptionalism (laughs) that I've ever heard. (laughs) But that's just a small point. It's ridiculous. Um, But, yeah, a couple couple small rule changes that I think are very necessary in soccer uh, that would really benefit the game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think this is true, Luke, and I'm glad... I'm glad that you've proposed these because they do seem like potentially realistic changes to this beautiful and sacred game that we all love and cherish. 
because the shit that I was coming up with when you suggested this was four teams, four goals, two balls. <laughs> That'll get see, some I points. Knew you were gonna do. <laughs> this is... I see. I was trying to keep it realistic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I because you're proposing a very di- just a different sport. Yeah, this is a different. This is a different game, kind of. I mean, same rules. Otherwise, though. It's just like you can, you have one goal you're defending. You can score on any of those three goals that are out there and just go wild. Okay. Let us know. Let us know your thoughts on those rule changes. I know we've got a big, a big following of soccer fans. Um, let's get on to the book. Like I said, Dead House Gates up to chapter nine. I've got something right off the bat, Luke. Ooh, go for it. Okay. First in the, in the prologue. Okay, where we have this caravan of slaves that is just terrible. Really bad stuff. But walking up to this caravan of slaves is a priest of Hood who is doing this thing that apparently they do often where they just cover themselves in blood and have like a bunch of flies swarm on them and they walk around like, I don't know, like getting penance for the plague that has befallen the people or whatever the reason that they're doing this they're just covered in flies like you can't even see their body they have so many flies on them and they do this like with some regularity and my i just hood can we chill like if i'm a priest of hood can we chill a little can i just like paint my face white and like carry around a dead crow on a rope and drag it behind me or something or like wear a bird mask and look all spooky right i agree with you on this it's too much it's exorbitant like (laughs) it is ridiculous it's ridiculous it's too much hood it's way too much it it is way too much i because like you want not to put myself in the position of being hood, but you want more priests, right? As a god. I would think so. Yeah. It's, it seems to me based on what we saw from the last book that like the more you're worshipped, the more like people you have, kind of the more powerful you are. Mm-hmm. If my thing is like, yeah, every once in a while, you if you're a priest of me, you got to smear blood on you and be covered in flies. The, like, volunteers drops very low. And, like, the quality of those volunteers also dropping very low. Well, you're getting a very certain kind of person that's like, oh, yeah, that's that's metal as hell, dude. I'll do that. <laughs> and you're like, well, I'm not doing it because it's, like, metal and I'm going for, like, the drama. Because we also hear in this section that Hood isn't, like, melodramatic. Like, Hood is not typically somebody who's into the drama. So, like, right. what... If you're not into the drama, stop making your buddies walk around covered in flies. That's like mm-hmm. that's a lot. It's a lot, hood. I know. You're getting you're getting like you said a very specific type of person and only that type of person. Now, now your priesthood's a little echo chamber of weird boys. And we don't love that. Yeah, we really we really don't. We really don't, hood. I'm sorry. <laughs> 
Uh, I think that if there's one weakness that Hood has, I think it's I think it's that he needs a diversity of voices around him. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. To go more broadly, because I think this is a good this example of an event is a good like harbinger of what the rest of this book has so far held. Mm-hmm. I don't think that this is a hot take. But so far, this book has been significantly darker than the last one, I would say. Incredibly darker. Yeah. Because the last one had some dark things, right? Like, our bug people murdering, like, a very specific amount of people in a very specific amount of time. Whereas this one, it's, like, all the time that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The We got into the second book that was called Whirlwind. Um... Yeah, so they called it the apocalypse that was happening. Kind of fits, actually. Kind mm-hmm. of very bad. People are just getting murdered all over the place. Like, Hood is loving this, right? Like, <laughs> as much as Hood is potentially overdramatic, Hood has got to be hype about what's going on right now. Me, on the other hand, mm-hmm. not so great. Not so great. Not so, Yeah, not so great. It was tough coming up with, like, funny things to say here. Um, so <laughs> I will say Sorry. I did it. I've got a I've got a whole list of them, so I, I oh, think you... I think we'll be okay. okay. Yeah, but um, Good. yeah, this was kind of terrible. Especially the last book had like some nice things that happened too, huh? Yeah, the last book it was like, oh hey, Tattersail and Captain Perron have like a little thing going on, and Crocus is kind of a funny, goofy little guy who's getting into shenanigans with his buddies and now it's like there is no good thing there there are we have yet to see any good things happen i guess crocus and Absalar are still together which is like something yeah but (laughs) i don't know if we wanted to talk about this more later but i'm gonna say these two are not gonna make it (laughs) It doesn't seem. It does not seem like it. No, I'm not Two getting that. Two very vibe. different vibes. <laughs> like yeah, but... I don't think they have much in common. Um... Well, on top of the fact that apparently Fiddler is like resisting the urge to like send Crocus off into the desert and just hang out with Absalar because he's kind of into it now. Right, which is like, why are you? The times that people are into sometimes in these books. Not necessarily these specifically, but the times when when a when a character like suddenly realizes some kind of romantic affection for another character is really strange to me, um, and and kind of the same thing with with Fiddler and Absalar in this. But well, okay, and I want to say how much it like grabs hold of them too. Like I get it if you have a little crush or for an instant you're like you know in this light I'm looking pretty good. But the fact that you're like, I got to resist the urge to send this young boy off into the desert to die so that I could be with Absalar. What? <laughs> Dude. Can we can we also talk about how... So Absalar, in theory, has like gone back to herself, but she has the skills of Cotillion, right? It's mm-hmm. kind of like the vague thing. Yes. But... There's a moment here where in one of her little fight scenes, she's still like 
cuts two guys in the groin rather than like doing some other thing and fiddler's like she's back baby (laughs) i don't know man (laughs) yeah fiddler does a little that's my girl and i'm like i don't know if that's your girl fiddler it's a dark it's a dark world dan yeah it's just just trying to keep up especially especially this one i guess the title of this book gives us the difference between the last one the last one you know gardens of the moon sounds kind of nice i'd love to go visit the gardens of the moon dead house gates okay maybe not not gates that i want to see yeah speaking of the like terrifying things in this book that we learn about um so like apparently just all of the world is now trying to kill these people this is like australia that we have stumbled into right because like the insects are all terrifying there's like creatures out in the water that will just eat your whole ship for fun they're like demons are running around it's just like everything wants to kill all these people all the time right yes that's what it seems like i especially the insects part of it i think okay the blood flies bit that we had there was terrible truly the worst i think right and, I don't and they're not even they're not even the ones that are like the harbingers of death no it's not even them it's a different one <laughs> they're just like the terrifying like scarring forever kind of creatures and i think part of it that was so just like terrifying for me was like how quickly all that happened right like you could just be out walking around one day having a great time and then a bunch of blood flies comes on you and really painful. They all bite you. And within like, it sounded like within like an hour, you've got like little worms crawling out of the holes that they bit. And there's not much you can really do about it except right. die. Unless you've got your EpiPen. Unless, yeah, unless you've specifically brought your EpiPen, which like who carries <laughs> one of those around with them everywhere? Oh, God, it is rough. It it is yeah, it seems like a rough place. I I don't know. I don't know if the rest of the continents are similar, and we just like didn't quite get the the vibe because we were mostly in cities last time. But I don't think so. I think this seems worse. Captain Paran was like walking through the plains to Darugistan. And he wasn't constantly like, I got to watch out for all these crazy creatures that that are going to come try and eat me. He was just chilling. Right. There's also some rough desert. It's a a tough place to live. Yeah, this is a tough place. Um, So I got to respect the people that have that have like made it their own. I mean, Uh, I I mean, okay, okay. They're doing some bad things. Yeah, this apocalypse that they've decided to do seems not great. I want to get more specifics on the term apocalypse in this context. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, like, do you mean literal apocalypse? Well, I think I think in there, when they say it, it's more of like a ending of one world and the beginning of a new one. So like a culture change. You know, we talk about culture change a lot on this podcast. 
I I don't know if that's exactly (laughs) what they're going for here. I don't know if I don't know if HR is ever deeming an apocalypse necessary for a corporation to uh, rethink its culture. I I would agree. I think that this one does need a culture change because very little respect for life in this book. Yeah, they got they got a little they got a little bloodthirsty, I think. Well, that like not even them necessarily. Mm. Them, yes, the like the citizens of seven cities. Yeah. But well, I don't know if they're from what the the little the guards guys that are like the red guard or something i forget i forget oh, the exact oh yeah yeah the red guards yeah or the red swords we got to get these we got to get them under control yeah i like are, they're just running through murdering <laughs> right the red blades have just decided to take upon themselves the policing of these cities ooh actually this is oh <laughs> Have we seen some red <laughs> blades come out in the United States recently? Granted, I'm sure so, we, I say recently, I'm sure there there have been red blades for a very long time in the United States. Right. I don't want to draw a direct comparison. Um but something needs to be done about these red blades. I think we both agree. Yeah. We got to do something about these red blades because this is ridiculous, y'all. You it's can't like you can't this. just run through and murder everyone because you think I don't know, man. I will. Maybe say. this is why. Maybe this is why everyone's like, "Fuck yeah, let's do the apocalypse," because these guys are murdering us all in the market for no reason. Ooh, yes. I think. I mean, I don't want to say they're justified because I, I think there's a lot of bloodshed here. That's not really my vibe. Uh, <laughs> I'm not really into good, it. Good caveat there. Yeah, but I will say with the like. I'm just going to get a snow cone and yeah. suddenly dude on a horse cutting everybody down in the market for no reason, just because I'm here. And they heard that some folks were, were getting ready to do a rebellion. Well, yeah, you're the reason, dude. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> oh, Wrong man. reaction. This is totally the so, wrong yeah, reaction. The, the specifics are definitely not justified, but... Like the broad idea of of rebelling against, I guess the Mal- Malazan in general, but but more specifically the the Red Blades. Mm-hmm. I'm for it. Maybe take a different course of action. Right, right. Maybe some like targeted strikes against the Red Blades in particular. Form like a coalition government mm. with the Malazan. Or even just be mm-hmm. like, hey, we're going to rebel unless you do these things. So maybe do them. I will say, though, uh, sticking with the Red Blades for a second. The Red Blades came up with an innovation that I don't want to give them credit for because they use it for just like atrocities. But I think is outstanding. And I'm, I want to know why we've never seen this before. They put swords on their horses, Luke. Hmm. They attached blades to their horses. Why have we never done this before? Okay, I think it's a bad idea. Luke, all right, tell me why it's a bad (laughs) idea, and I'll tell you why you're wrong. (laughs) Well, okay, first of all, 
from from what I remember reading from this section, the blades are like on the horse's legs. Yeah. Yeah. Horse's legs are extraordinarily like fragile. Uh fragile. Oh yeah. Right? Oh yeah. I like if they're running and you apply a little bit of resistance, as in their blade stabs someone, I feel like their legs are broken immediately. And you're going down. No, 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 Luke. No, 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 no. Because you're thinking of it like they're just happen to hit something when they're running and the blades are to the, like, for when they run into something. That's not what you're doing. You're not going to just take any old random horse out the paddock and attach blades to it and say, perfect, this is a killing machine now. (laughs) No, Luke. You're not going to do that with a human. You're not going to throw a sword in a human's hands and be like, all right, perfect. I've got a killing machine now because they're going to cut themselves. They don't know how to use that sword. But you train that horse in the art of the blade. (laughs) Killing machine. I'm not saying I'm not saying they're like going. I'm not saying they are like dueling another person with these blades. But like, maybe. <laughs> I I will say I feel like it's a a weapon suited to atrocities rather than real battle, um, which is very much their vibe. So like, go for it. But... No, 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 no! Do not go for it, please. <laughs> do not go for it, Red Blades. Right. I just like in a real battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think it's a good move. Especially when you're considering it seems like not all of like a lot of armies don't really have armor. But like if I'm going up against a guy with armor, it's killing it, the horse I still think the horse legs are breaking. I don't Okay, Luke, I think these are the perfect defense for our horse legs from break. Okay. Because like the weakness of a cavalry is if they don't have space to charge, right? If you hem them in with a bunch of people and they just are like trapped in there, they're going to go down pretty quick because the horse becomes a hindrance. But if that horse knows how to use blades on front and back, maybe throw them some on the back like uh, like uh, rooster claws, you know? <laughs> Who's going to get close to that horse? I Hey, Jimmy, go stab that horse to death so we can pull its rider down and end this cavalry charge. Meanwhile, horse is throwing bows that are bladed. <laughs> I'm not, blows. Jimmy's not getting anywhere near that horse. Are you kidding me? No, you do it. Okay. I So, okay. It definitely depends on the horse's skill. <laughs> I, I agree with you here. So you gotta be... But also... Not to go too far into this. How do you train the horse on this? To use blades? <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's just a how you train the horse to do anything unnatural for a horse. Like, horses aren't designed to have a person sitting on them. Yeah, but I feel like that's more natural than having blades attached to your legs as a horse. I mean... And, like, having strategy for fighting with them. I don't know. I think you could use their natural kind of horse movements and just tweak them a little bit to be able to use a blade okay i think that there's i think that there's huge potential here that we never looked into i'm gonna say i've never heard of this in the real world anywhere of anybody using horse blades and i think potentially for a reason (laughs) 
<laughs> but I will say uh, highest paid coaches among the Red Blades are now the stable masters or mm. whatever the term is. Because the these guys horse got fences? a tough job. Let's, I want to, I want to go to something trivial. Okay, good. <laughs> Consider it. Yeah. More trivial than horse blades. Yeah. Right. Why would the beer and wine be free? You guys, everyone's over here going to these inns being like, why the, why are you charging me for beer and wine? That's ridiculous. Well, okay. It's very ungrateful. Pause because it's during the sandstorm, right? Yeah. It's during the sandstorm, so they're, like, sheltering from the storm. Uh, So it's not like every inn they expect the beer and the wine to flow freely. I don't know. It seems like they do. I don't think so. I think it's just (laughs) this place. I think it's just this place that they're taking shelter in from the storm, right? That's what it feels like. Okay. That's the only one we see because that's really the only, like, inn we see here. But the people come in and seem outraged, like collectively and independently. I think Kalam comes in first and is like shocked that they're charging for beer. And then these other guys, the like, I think they're Red Blades in disguise come in and are also shocked. And it's like, is this like a common rule? Is there like a, is there like a sandstorm happy hour universally (laughs) that this particular pub is like flouting the rules for? (laughs) right like most of the time you can go into any inn in a storm and just be like you know i'm not much of a wine guy uh i'm really into do you have like an ipa on tap it's really (laughs) rough out there i could just use a use a quick ipa and i'll be i'll be right as rain and they're like actually i know that's really common around here but you know because we got rid of tipping in our restaurant uh, we have mm-hmm. to have other ways to like kind of save that funds. So right. we're not doing the free beer because really we were stealing from our workers when we were giving that to right. you as yeah. customers. Yeah, because they're they're paying their like also they're paying their like farmers a fair wage. Mm-hmm. So it's like we're not commodifying this beer. It's a little bit too much, so we got to charge some for it. Right, right. Meanwhile, Kalam is like, this is a fucking outrage. Let me speak to the manager. I I think it's like very presumptuous to assume. That, it's like me when I go to a like Mexican restaurant and I'm like, why are the chips and salsa not free? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Why should they be free? I don't know why we've come, become accustomed to that. <laughs> this is like an outstanding comparison that you're making here because I've never once thought about the fact that like chips and salsa wouldn't be just like provided at a Mexican restaurant. But like, why? <laughs> I mean, it's nice. I love it. I love it. It gets right. me in the door. But um, somebody has to pay for those chips. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... Let's let's move on from this. Okay. Can we can we talk about our two lonesome old old travelers, Mapo and uh or what is his name? Icarium. Icarium. Okay. These boys just got attacked in the desert by a bunch of anamorphs and mm-hmm. 
they show up to this tower and a creepy old man is like, hey, uh, I'm going to say some really weird dark shit and then offer for you to come up into my tower. You getting up here? Um, That's a trap, right? That's like textbook trap. Yeah, okay, so yes. Like, like if I was them, if, if it's me and you out on the road. Yeah. We're not doing it. Right. Right. But I don't have the same confidence and swag that Icarium and Mappo do. Uh, okay. My problem with that is that if I'm setting a trap, these people are famous. Mappo and the the half jag hood, the guy that made the clock in Darugistan that everybody mm-hmm. knows, they're famous. He he looks weird. He's got tusks. You can tell. You look at him and you're like, you're not normal. You're that guy that I hear about all over that's like super old. Me, as a creepy old man who's setting a trap, I'm not going to spring the trap on them if they come by. I'm not going to be like, oh, I see those two guys down there and I recognize who they are. I'm going to invite them up into my trap because I think I could take them. If I'm like, not sure. You know what I mean? Oh, like, I see what you're he saying. knows who they are. He knows their capabilities. And he's still like, hey, you want to come up into my scary tower? And they're like, one, this has got to be a trap. But two, let's go for it anyway. <laughs> he has the upper hand. I mean... Yeah, okay. How I will say, one thing that I've noticed about this series mm-hmm. is that all of the, like, powerful people seem... It's like celebrities. Like, somehow celebrities all know each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like... Somehow. They see this old dude some in, unknown right. way. <laughs> so they see this guy and they're like, I don't recognize you, so you probably kind of suck. <laughs> you know what I mean? What a stupid way to think, though. <laughs> yeah, but they also, like, the way that you would trap someone like this yeah, yeah. involves sorcery. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe. Maybe he just has, like, a bomb that he built. Maybe he's got an elaborate Rube Goldberg device that he has set up. And he's <laughs> like, I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. They've, <laughs> uh, they've never seen a guillotine before. And I'm going right. to totally get him. I mean, okay, I, I I feel like that's a fair point. I still, I, I still am pro them doing it, mostly because I think that, I don't know how to pronounce his name, old weird dude, I think he's awesome. I also didn't expect to like this guy, and I don't really like him, uh, but I do think he is a, he is a good character. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm into it. I'm into his whole vibe, you know. Well, it's yeah. like I mean, there's this character in a lot of in a lot of books, right? The crazy old guy who actually knows what's going on, right? And I think mm-hmm. it's different from like Krupp from the last book. Like, still is a little similar to like somebody who is like very you know powerful, but isn't really revealing it. But it reminds me a lot more of that, like. Almost like that prof- 
professor from the name of the wind that is like the one that's mm. in the crazy place like right that's the vibes that i'm getting from this guy are like you know the stuff he's saying doesn't really make a lot of sense on first glance but he's like sending you on a journey that's important you know that's fair that's fair so i i I think especially in this most recent chapter that we've read his like the idea of him actually being right about a bunch of stuff while also being insane really comes out because previously it was like this dude just seems crazy um but now he seems very knowledgeable Mm -hmm. and before this chapter i don't know if i loved him but this chapter especially chapter eight um Mm -hmm. was was a big big iskarol pus chapter here's the here's the star i'm gonna say also his name is terrible his name is really bad yeah i don't love it do you think he knows quick ben they are but they were both shad like quick ben was shadow before doing whatever he did right so I hope so. Do you think this is where Quick Ben's from? Hold on. Do you think this is Quick Ben? Oh! <laughs> Luke! Right? Because, okay, okay. We, we're we basing this off of like one sentence from the last book when Shadow Throne sees him and calls him a shapeshifter. I'm still not totally convinced that Quick Ben is actually a shapeshifter. But we're going to have fun with that well, until we are proved. I mean, he could also be the servant, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Or okay. the mule. <laughs> any one of them. Could be anybody. Well, and Quick Ben was a servant of Shadow. Right. So maybe. Keep an, keep an eye on that keep one. Keep an eye out for sure. Luke, something that I'm actually a little disappointed about. Um, I think in this book, a lot more than in the last book, we get a sense of time, of how old this kind of civilization is and how long people have been building cities and stuff. Um, we're still not even on iPhone 1 yet, though. Like, I'm a little disappointed. It's kind of lame, to be honest. It's just like, hey, let's keep building these rock cities for tens of thousands of years uh and i'm good with that we've got magic that's pretty cool but uh, otherwise like yeah i got bow arrow i got crossbow sure mm-hmm. i've got some explosives but like eh, i'm fine with that as it is right i actually had this thought last book mm. however mm. I mean, in our world, humans have been around in some fashion for like a few hundred thousand years, right? Hundred thousand? I feel like that's true. <sighs> okay. Hundred thousand. Do we want to do? Do we want to do, do a quick Google? No, we're just we're riffing on this. I was gonna say it was like twenty thousand years. You know? I okay. Someone, someone, let us know. In the, when you when you listen to this, send us a comment on the subreddit. I think it's a couple hundred thousand. 
And we've only gotten like real technology in the last uh, 100 or 200 years. Okay. Okay. So I guess then the question to our listeners is how many thousands of years does it have to go by before not having iPhone 1 is kind of lame? Give me a precise number. I need a number. Yeah. Before, if you don't have an iPhone 1 by 200,000 years of your civilization existing, then you're not really that cool. Right. Because the, I will say, the the like exponential curve for technology really starts to hit because we're at crossbows right now. Maybe we're at the, maybe we're at the beginning of our exponential curve and we're going to hit iPhone one in like 200 years. That's within the lifespan of like half the characters that we know. Well, okay. Here's the thing that's absurd about it though, which is part of the, you, you just brought this up. There are characters that are living this whole time. We had to do it. We had to do it. We had to start from the bottom. And now we're here. And we had to like transmit that. First, we had to figure out how to like write stuff down so that future peoples could keep working on the stuff that we've been working on. Like, hey, I've got this one rock and I've got this other rock. And when I click them together, they make a spark. And... Mm -hmm. For a long time, the only way we could transmit that was just like telling everybody. It was just like being like, hey, look at Clicky Rock. Clicky Rock makes spark. And then right. we eventually figured out writing, all that. But we had to do that because people just didn't live that long to be able to discover all the cool stuff. But if I'm living hundreds of years, I'm way past Clicky Rock. Just me as a dude. Yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely true, especially because like some of these, I was going to say that some of our longer living immortal people should spend more time on scholarly stuff than they do on fighting-y stuff, but I, we've seen examples, like Icarium seems to be, right. a, a, I don't know, smart he- guy that is focused like while also being super good at fighting is more focused on this. Also, last book, um, our boy, what's his name? Rake. Our boy Rake said he's read. Actually, I think we said he's read every book, but basically said he's read every book. <laughs> yeah, but like, what is he doing with that knowledge? Mm. Do you? Oh, do you think he's just got like a 4K TV up there, and he's like, oh, mm-hmm. you guys wouldn't be interested in coming up to moon spawn it's pretty lame right i think so i also want to ask a question of you or potentially potentially the audience okay magic i think there's a big wrench Mm-hmm. yeah but okay so if we're at like a uh you, you can put a equation that tracks technology's process through human civilization mm-hmm. let's say mm-hmm I feel like magic puts some kind of some kind of uh like qualifier number at mm-hmm. the front of that, right? Like one third times that. What do you think what do you think that number is? You're saying because magic magic is gonna slow it down because That's my theory. A lot of stuff we could we, we use technology for, uh, like people can use magic to do it. Right. And the and the magic users are gonna 
like have an incentive to slow down technology. I see, because they want a monopoly on power is what you're saying. So they might be, see, but this is why, like I would have thought it's going to be like a two times multiplier on there because me, non-magic user, sees Luke who got a flight warren out soaring around through the sky. I'm like, I would love to do that. Let me go in my garage and figure out how to make that happen because I'm jealous of Luke. Mm. Like jealousy is a huge driver, I think. And Orville and Wilbur just had the birds to be jealous of. Okay. Imagine if my neighbor could fly. (laughs) Okay. Yes. I mean, I think that this could go either way because like, right. So, so that's why I'm, I'm not sure. My theory is that magic's going to slow us down because also like if I'm jealous of my neighbor that can fly, I feel like I'm going to take the more immediate way of trying to figure out how to use magic to fly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is going to limit my technological process. I think there is. Yeah, that's a significant problem, but there could also be a little bit of competition here right mm-hmm. you've got like maybe you've got a nation that doesn't really know how to do magic that well but in order to stay competitive they have they've created a tank or something right i will say there's a there's a little hint in this book that the world that we're actually seeing is only a small fraction of the rest of the world maybe mm. there's maybe there's some continents over there that have got some uh some airplanes Maybe. flying over like oh i don't want to go there <laughs> that place looks terrible look at those bugs <laughs> meanwhile you're saying you're saying there is a continent that is on the iphone 30 somewhere around here at least yeah yeah, yeah for sure okay fair enough yeah i'm into it i i know we already talked about horses but i kind of want to go back to horses for a second <laughs> okay should we be way more terrified of horses luke Okay. Are you saying this because one horse bites a dude's face off? <laughs> yes. What do you mean? Is that why I'm asking if we should be more terrified of horses? Of course that's why I'm asking that. Because unsolicited, this guy is like talking to Fiddler and Fiddler's horse bites his face off. <laughs> what? That can happen? Yeah. That was rough um i will like this dude has slow reactions <laughs> you're saying it's this guy's fault that he got his face it's okay it's not off? his it's not his fault okay. i don't think like i'm not gonna victim blame but i'm gonna say like you should not be within face biting distance of like a guy's horse that you just spat at Do you um, know what i mean what how close is that luke i feel like it's pretty close especially if you if you if you're not able to avoid it i mean i don't know because think of like how long a horse's neck is all right and like if let's imagine that horse could also take a step you know lean into it a little bit that to me right okay feels like but there's a time consideration here a reaction time consideration I don't, are you, okay, 
Are you expecting a horse to bite your face off? I mean, okay, uh, this uh, if I this dude is like a guard, right? Yeah. And this strange growl or whatever they're called, yes. who seem to be very aggressive. Uh-huh. Like is coming up and I'm going to challenge him and spit at his foot. Yeah. I I feel like I should be prepared for some kind of negative reaction there. It's a horse. It's a horse, Luke. I've seen horses before. I'm not. Yeah, but so- you haven't seen. You have never been a guard confronting some warrior and <laughs> spitting in his face. Okay. You've never done that. Okay, I think you're actually agreeing with me that we should be more afraid of horses because what you're saying is this guard should have seen the horse making a move towards his face and been like, haha, not today. No, 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 no. Yeah. Right. I think that we have we have adapted to this already, actually. What? Because you would never you would never confrontationally approach a horse and spit at it. I'm not spitting Because you oh would be God. afraid of it. You <laughs> What do you mean confrontationally approach a horse? I'm approaching the dude on the horse. Yeah, but effectively they're the same thing in this context. What the horse knows what I'm saying to the dude? The okay, horse but I feel understands like... the nuances of me spitting on the ground? No, it's a fucking horse! <laughs> I mean, you're the one that wants to strap swords on horses. <laughs> yeah, because they apparently they already have a killer instinct of biting someone's face off. And, like, I think Crocus had the best response to this. Crocus was just like, uh, guys, are we not going to talk about the fact that that horse bit that guy's face off? And everyone else was just like, nah. (laughs) Well, I will say, a lot of people wanted to buy the horse. Which is, like, a a huge red flag, if I'm being honest. I don't want my horse biting people's faces off. (laughs) No. No. Absolutely not. That horse. That's not a horse we want to keep. No. Oh, God. Like, you don't ever see people at the Derby walking past the horses, like, flinching out of the way every time they move out of fear that they're going to bite one of their faces off. But what is stopping the horse from deciding to do it? Hmm. Nothing. Nothing. I mean, but, I mean, you could say that about, like, dogs or any animal though but a dog okay okay luke the the raw power that this horse had to bite this guy's like face off and leave him on the ground wishing he were dead one dog doesn't have that in one bite okay yeah a dog could do it yeah but well, like like a horse, you know, all my knowledge about how to stay safe around horses is like, you know, you don't go behind them. You don't startle them because their kicky parts are the parts that hurt you. Not, yeah, these vegetarian animals will bite you in the face if they just are not really liking your vibe. Right. I mean, I will say this seems to be very limited to one horse. <laughs> Okay, Luke. <laughs> it only takes one. It literally takes one horse to bite my face off. And I'm like, well, that sucked. <laughs> right. 
I mean, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm still gonna pet horses when I, <laughs> assuming that I know the horse. I don't think I'm going to. I think this has ruined horses for me. I want to see a muzzle on that horse if I'm getting anywhere <laughs> close to it. Okay, I want to stay kind of here on the on the growl. Mm-hmm. These this these tribesmen. Mm-hmm. It's a bit much for you guys to be chasing Fiddler through the apocalypse sandstorm because he, I I don't fully know what he did, but it seems to be like they heard that he was an outcast mm-hmm. from this guy and they're like, I'm going to completely throw away my life trying to kill him. Well, and the thing about it too is like, He's not that. Like, he's not even that. So, right. like, when you catch up to him, finally, after, like, ten of your people have died and you kill him, you realize, oh, he's not even... Did we get the wrong guy? <laughs> I mean, at that point, then you're f- killing him for impersonating you, I guess. Well, but maybe it's not even the same one. Like... There, it's not like he pulled out a picture and was like, yeah, this is the guy who you need to chase after who said he was out. No, it's just like I followed these tracks and they led me to this guy who somebody else told me was out. I don't I don't know if I'm buying it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not like it's, it's maybe you've got some kind of like honor to uphold. Mm-hmm. Where when this guy tells you like, oh yeah, we should probably chase him down so that people know that there's these consequences in some way. Mm-hmm. But once you hit the sandstorm, there's no one else around you guys. You can you can give up. No. And just go back and be like, yeah, he went in the sand. I think he's dead because he went in the sandstorm. So I, that's a point for us, I think. Right, exactly. Better, but even better is you just say, yeah, we got him. He went in the sandstorm. Right. We went in there. There was a dope fight. Like, pew, pew. Arrows going <laughs> everywhere. Slash. Hit him with the sword. His his horse tried to bite me, and I was like, not today. And we got him. Done. Yeah. I mean, victory. Congrats. It's it's just It's just too much. I don't, like, let's take it easy. Let's take it down a notch. Yes. I feel like it was a wild person to try and impersonate were these Mm. folks that were like that are super arrogant granted we do get a passage in this book that's like sometimes arrogance is the best disguise right but like it seems to have given you a lot of trouble so far it it, yeah i i mean yeah (laughs) totally No, no nuts on that one um we haven't talked about our trio yet excuse me our trio the the heboric like felicin and felicin and when you said trio it was a joke right are you saying because i'm pronouncing it trio instead of trio (laughs) do you know it's pronounced trio or did you just now learn that it's pronounced trio that's one of those words that I 
don't I switch between pronunciations? Oh my god! And I okay. don't know which one's correct. I love that for you. I'm not going to tell you which one's correct. You could probably guess by the fact that we had to stop our podcast and and address it. But it's it seems like you may think that it's trio, but unconfirmed. Um, <laughs> okay, agree to think Luke is wrong then. <laughs> the main reason that I have not talked about them yet mm-hmm. is because. I do not feel comfortable criticizing any of their actions. <laughs> Same. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to leave it there <laughs> because their experiences are very unfamiliar to me and I don't want to comment on any of their behaviors. I'll say this. However, a lot of trauma there and it all sounds bad. It all sounds bad. I am excited to hear Bodden's secret past mm-hmm. definitely got something going on there that's the only real thing that i'm excited about yeah for them <laughs> this group has been through a lot um but i'm very interested to see the mysteries that get revealed about their whole deal you know right because we've got to hear how right. he, this guy lost his hands come on come mm-hmm. on we gotta know and yeah what's what's bodden up to you know <laughs> It's good that they finally made it safely to these unfamiliar waters with a ship with uh, uh, dead bodies. Uh, happy for them mm-hmm. that they finally made it. Mm-hmm. Should be easygoing. Smooth sailing, some would say. <laughs> for sure. No question. No question. Speaking of people who have finally made it, the last thing that I have, and I would just like for you to imagine with me for a second mm-hmm. you are a 16 year old boy in Darugistan. you've got these three great friends and you make you spend your time breaking into wealthy people's houses getting a little bit of spending coin playing cards with your buddies at night and then a demon comes to your city the whole thing like explodes Uh, There's like war about to happen and you get sent off with a girl who's been possessed by a god to go through a sandstorm to find the apocalypse gates or whatever. Um, Yeah, I'd like to I'd like to wake up and go back to uh, my lovely teenager life, please. I'd like to try and put this turban back in this hot chick's room and Mm -hmm. maybe date her one day, please. I'd like to go that way instead right i think that this is a um a failure of the adults around him this theoretical teenager because like if my younger friend who is a teenager Mm -hmm. is like hey this hot murderer uh needs to go home (laughs) and these other murderers are going to take her across three continents that are all uh horrible. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I'm like, "Hey buddy, like there's other girls." Yeah, like I know your uncle just died <laughs> and you were really close, but I think you need to stay here and maybe process that a little bit and mm-hmm. um you know, we'll watch out for you. We we've got you back. We're your family, man. Come on. We got you. It's all good. Also, very irresponsible of 
Kalam and Fiddler to not be like, hey, also, I know our our one of our objectives is to get her home. Um, kind of a side quest, not really a big thing. We're going to murder the uh, the Empress, and you're going to be a part of that. <laughs> Just a, give me a heads up a little earlier in the trip. That should be like in the itinerary as I'm deciding. Here's what I think happened, Luke. They knew he had the coin, and so they were like, this kid is going to come in so handy when we get into a tough spot. He's got Opan's coin, and that is going to be like our ace in the hole. And so we can't tell him. We got to kind of trick him into coming with us so that we can have access to this resource. And they get out on the boat, and Crocus like flips the coin into the water, and Fiddler's just like, ah, shit. Ah, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, geez. What are we going to do with this kid now? Yeah. He's, I mean, very out of place is Crocus. What is he doing aside from being like, hey, you guys are, I don't know about this, y'all. <laughs> because Absolar, like, I got a different first impression from you. He just complains the whole time. And to be honest, if I'm Crocus, I'm in his, I'm with him here. I am Crocus in this situation. Like, things are going crazy. It's been like several months and my whole world is just like completely upside down. And I almost died, actually almost died five times this week. <laughs> I'd just like this to, week alone. I'd like to go home, I think. Right. This was a poor choice of study abroad trip for me i don't know i'm gonna cut it short i think you can keep the deposit all right anyway i'm glad i'm glad we could take some time to just imagine what crocus is going through because Mm -hmm. it sounds so rough he's just not prepared for any of this crazy stuff happening to him and uh, i sympathize with it luke i sympathize with it and um you know, we'll we'll be back with Crocus next week for the next two thirds of the book. Maybe coming up with some hot takes to lighten the mood a little bit. You know, give it a little bit of give it a little bit of lightness in this in this apocalypse that's happening. Right, and keep it fun by acting like some dumb nerds. Yeah.